So let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you, uh, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for um, our church fellowship. I thank you for this community that we, um, we come together each week. We, we worship you. We study your word. And Lord, I pray that as we work our way through um, Jonah, Lord, that your spirit would guide us, Lord. Uh, Lord, give us a, a, an idea and understanding of your heart um, for the world, for the nations. We thank you, Lord, that you are a loving God. We thank you uh, that you are a God who has made atonement for us uh, through Christ on the cross. Uh, Father, we, uh, we look to you for help this day, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so October is officially Missions Month. That is the reason for the international-themed potluck. We had a leadership meeting a, a while ago, and we opted to say, hey, just do an international theme sort of thing. And the, people impressed me with the food they brought, and so I'm sort of like, let's do it again, because I have no idea what kind of food you guys will bring. So American counts, so if you want to bring some American food, we'll probably barbecue, uh, uh, but, but surprise us with whatever, and it'll be a great time. Um, so the, so the Bible, the reason for missions, the reason that we're doing this is really the Bible is truly a love story. Um, from, from Genesis to Revelation, we see um, that, that God loves humanity. He created us. Um, sin entered the world. And so it's this, this picture of God redeeming his creation, buying back um, humanity, people that he has purchased, uh, that he created, he purchased with his blood. Uh, Jonah is this sort of this microcosm of, of this, the story of God using an individual uh, to share his love with others. Um, I, uh, Faye made these bullet, these bulletins. Okay, my words are not coming out. I'm somewhere between here and Kenya, time zone-wise. Every afternoon, I'm like, I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to do it. And then around 3 p.m., I'm like, I'm just going to close my eyes for a second. And then next thing I know, it's 3 in the morning. And so I'm still, I'm still fighting to get back. But, but uh, Faye made these for us, um, sort of our church information on the back, all of the missionaries that we support. Um, on the front, you'll see there's a Bible verse. If you're courageous enough um, to memorize a verse, I would encourage you to memorize Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says, I've memorized it at one point in my life, and I think I can do it again. It says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the outermost part of the earth, depending on what translation you memorize it in. And so it's sort of, uh, in the very beginning of Acts, Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. And now there's this picture of God's hand uh, moving through the pages of Acts, and how he goes from Jerusalem to the outermost part of the earth. And it sort of divides the world. Um, for, for us, practically speaking, Jerusalem would be valley center, the community in which we live. Um, Judea, we could say, well, that's Escondido, surrounding areas. Samaria could be uh, greater San Diego into Mexico. And then the remotest part of the earth would be sort of um, out um, to, to the world beyond. Um, and so I did take a couple pictures. So I'm going to see if, if Benjamin, if you, well, he's flinching there because he realized he's like a, maybe Isaac. I'm going to dig into the shadows. Can you come turn off the lights? I want to sort of, I, I know you all asked me to share. I'm not the best photographer, especially when I just bring my cell phone and I'm not really big into taking pictures. Um, you can turn off that last, I'll, I'll just take them all. Oh, it, they're switches. We changed them. See the switches underneath the sliders? This is a good, there we go. And then you can turn off the last fluorescent light. Uh, so this is the hangar in which Joe Wagnell works. Um, it, it can accommodate up to five large airplanes. That's actually a pretty large aircraft. If you open the hangar doors, it, it goes out um, to the runway. I'm looking, I'm in Joe's office, the radio, um, the radio room, sort of looking down on the hangar. There's a couple stories above us. Um, you'll see this sort of describes the week. This is Joe walking. Daniel is following him. And Daniel basically followed him throughout the whole week. And Joe just kept giving him stuff to do. Um, uh, John got stuck doing some filing things in the office. 
meticulous little things entering into the computer. Joe looks at me and he said, Gunnar, can you do this too? And I looked, I'm like, no, there's, I'm here to encourage you not to do work for you. And I, I, <laughs> where's a cup of coffee and introduce me to some people because that's why I'm here. And so I was sort of a slacker. Um, so then he volunteered me to do speaking for their chai time, uh, tea time. And, and so I shared with the group. So we can go to the next slide. I, I don't really remember what. Okay, so here's Joe uh, in his office. Uh, he's sort of, um, he's never really at his seat for a long time. Constantly people are coming to him, um, asking him to do things. Uh, through this trip here, I've learned that Joe, um, it's very much like when I was in the military with Joe. When I was a Navy SEAL, Joe was a, um, an ET, a guy who... Um, we would break things and then we would bring it to him. And so he's kind of, um, he's the guy behind the scenes that allows people to, to go out forward. Um, next slide. Um, I got busted taking this guy's picture. It was kind of embarrassing. So, so this man, I have no idea what his name is. Um, and you, can you see the look in his eyes? Like, who's this guy and why is he taking my picture and what's happening here? Um, so this is an SIM, serving, uh, Sudan Interior Mission, or I think it's serving a mission now. Uh, he is a church planter up in the Sudan region, and so he came down and he brought this box, which is some thingamajigger that helps him get electro- electricity from his solar panel that he created so that he and his family could have some energy. Uh, he, he just walked in and said, hey, Joe, this thing isn't working. Um, can you fix it for us? There's no rush or other ones working right now. And Joe basically said, let me log it in. We'll get it fixed for you. And it uh, was really meaningful. This picture, I thought, sort of um, encapsulated a lot of what Joe does. He's sort of behind the scenes. Anything that they need, he comes and he really fixes it for them. He is super overwhelmed. I had read you that email from, from his mom. Overwhelmed is probably the wrong term. But, but there are very few people that can do what he does there. And so... Um, Anytime he has to leave, everything sort of shuts down. And so he really is um, all al- like all alone and, 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 uh, and as a huge sense of responsibility. Um, literally, he has a hard time leaving his work because if he leaves, then everything sort of shuts down as far as helping the people that are out, um, way out in, in really some remote areas. Um, the next picture, I think, was um, this is a vehicle for one of the pilots um, he took off that day, like literally took off that day, um, and and he said, my air conditioning in my car is not working. And so um, Daniel and Joe basically worked on his air conditioning to see if they could get it up and running. Uh, John was there for moral support, as, and I was there to heckle them more than anything. Um, and And so walking from this, and Joe just said, well, this is just sort of my life. Like, it doesn't seem that glamorous, but I feel like it's really significant that um, you know, here's a, a, missionary, a, a missionary pilot who's heading up to Sudan, which is a war zone, to, to bring supplies to some people. And while he's gone, I'm, I'm fixing his car so that he can have a quality of life. Um, there was another missionary who came with his truck with a similar issue. And one of the mechanics said, well, one of the keys out here is we have to keep our wives convinced that our vehicles are reliable. And so to do that, if you turn on the air conditioning and it doesn't work, our wives think that we're going to be out in the middle of a war zone and our car won't start. And so really, I'm like, that, there's wisdom there, you know? Um, so, so Joe helps give the wives comfort that they can be out in the middle of nowhere and that they're safe there. I, I forget what the next picture is here. If we want to... Okay, so this lady, her name is Lindsay. Um, some people bring home puppies, I bring home missionaries for our family. Um, we, we have adopted this one personally in our family. Um, her name is Lindsay. And, and so Joe was kind of walking the building with us. And he popped into a room and they said, oh, you're here for prayer time. And Joe's like, oh, it's prayer time? And it's like, yeah, we're staying for prayer time. And, and as we prayed, then Joe sort of introduced us to Lindsay. And I'm, I was sort of, you know, I... I, you know, you, you misprofile somebody, and I think, oh, she's probably like an office administrator or something, and Joe looks at her and says, hey, Lindsay, tell them some cool stories, because she's one of our pilots, and so she started talking with us, and it was, 
I'm like, you are like a modern-day Betty Green. Our, for those of you that don't know Betty Green, she was a female pilot, um, really the founder of, of uh, Mission, A- Mission Aviation Fellowship. And so she's like, well, I don't know that I have any cool stories. And then she started thinking, and she said, you know what? One of the things that, that um, it, it hits you in waves. And she's like, I'll be flying all alone heading into to southern Sudan or, or, or northern Sudan and it'll just dawn on me that I'm like a 27-year-old woman flying into a Muslim world all alone. And then when I land, I throw on my head garb. And just the other week, I was there in my pilot's uniform. Next thing I know, I'm helping these Muslim men slaughter a goat. And I'm covered in blood going, this is just really cool. And so I'm like, can I take your picture? Because I need to bring you like for my, for my daughter to see and so the next slide, um, I, I, there's a picture of her flying over on the area. Um, then the next slide was just from uh, last night. She posted on Facebook that she landed somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. A local pastor decided to guard the plane for her um, overnight. And so that's, that's one of the smaller planes, a Cessna, I think it's a 182, possible, or 206. I, I think it's a 206. Um, anybody can challenge me right now? Okay, it's good, 206. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a picture. This is chai time. This is back at the hangar. Um, it, the, the camera made it a little blurry, but it said Christ, their, their, their focus at AIM Air is, or really AIM, is African Inland Mission. They're, they're broader than just airplanes. Airplanes are one component of their ministry, but their, their mission statement is Christ-centered churches among all African peoples. And so this was just a really meaningful time for me. Uh, they, they led worship for uh, the group there, and then I did a, a little time of, of devos there. And then next slide, I think we're getting close to the end. Uh, so Michael Nichols sent me, he's like, hey, what do you want me to do for them? Like, while well, they come down here this weekend? And I said, well, you need to take them to an African church, because last Sunday they, we were at a very Western church. Joe doesn't, uh, Joe's setting, he goes to more of a, a church that's, that's more for expats in um, an embassy area, so it's very Western. You'd feel right at home going to church with Joe and Esther. I'm like, you need to take them to a truly African church so that they can get worship. And so then uh, last night or this morning, I, or somewhere in between, I don't know, I got, an, I got a text from Michael saying, okay, three hours of church is complete. Uh, is, there, is there anything else you need me to do for them? And I said, Make them go swimming in Lake Victoria so they can get Jardia because no international experience is complete until you get sick. It was a joke. And uh, so, so this is John with Malia, uh, one of the Nichols children, and Elliot in the background. And this was during the time of offering. And so that's sort of, um, I'm sure there's a lot more pictures to come. But they, uh, what, I'm not sure. It must be the middle of the night on Sunday for them. They're 10 hours ahead. So I can't tell the time right now, but it t- so it's about eight o'clock at night, and tomorrow morning they're going to make the drive from Masoma uh, back to, to Nairobi, and then on Tuesday night they have a very long flight. It, it is a, a be praying for them. Uh, it is it, it's a, coming back was absolutely miserable on the way there. We had a night in Zurich, which wasn't so bad, uh, but on the way back it's a it's a ten hour flight from Nairobi to Frankfurt. They get a couple hours there, then they're back in their seat for another 12 hours, um, heading back to LAX, and they'll be back on Wednesday. So, um, so that, that's a, a brief overview of the trip. Um, okay, we can get all the lights on. You can turn them all the way on, and uh, we will start Jonah. Um, so it's, I, I'm, I'm really encouraged by the trip. I'm thankful that our church, um, it, it's in our DNA to encourage the missionaries you, you can tell um, w- when talking to them, uh, not sure if I'm allowed to share this, I can share them. So on last Saturday night, I was invited, invited to a poker game, a poker match. I've never played poker before. And uh, Joe is a very smart man. <clears throat> smart man. He can count cards. I beat him. So I was pretty proud of that. And we're sitting around the table with a couple of the pilots and Joe, and they're like, so what are you doing out here? And so you're, you're the senior pastor of a supporting church, so are you here to see if Joe can stay with you guys? I'm like, no, 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 we're just here to encourage him and to spend time with him and just to, just to see what happens. And you could tell that they are just 
so blown away that a church would send their pastor just to go spend time and encourage them and laugh. Um, It's hard to put into words. Um, Joe, not with tears in his eyes, but very emotionally one night, he said, guys, this is a super big deal that you guys would come all of this way just to encourage me. And I remember Daniel and John sort of looking like, we encouraged you? And, And he's like, yeah, you guys have no idea how encouraging it is to have you all here. Um, so, uh, so I'm really thankful to have this opportunity to, to go there, um, to, to see what Joe does, to, to see the ministry of, of AIM. And it really, truly is a reminder to me uh, how grateful I am and, and really how a part of something that we are that's so much bigger than what, what's just here in Valley Center. Um, okay, so now we're going to dive into Jonah. That was sort of an extended uh, announcement period, sort of overview. Uh, we come to Jonah. Uh, Jonah is one of these little books that's tucked away um, that's different than the other, the, the, the other prophetical books. Um, there's major prophets and minor prophets. The only difference is the size of their writing. Um, Jonah is considered a minor prophet. A lot of the prophets, um, they're... Their aim is they get a revelation from God and then they share it with the people. Jonah is one of, the, one of these books that in many ways, the, the key to understanding Jonah is to know that Jonah wrote Jonah. Uh, God commissioned Jonah to do something. Jonah resisted the will of God. And, and as we read the story, um, I think we get the sense that Jonah has repented and part of this recording is, is he showing us how God has worked in his heart. Jonah, in many ways, is a picture of, of the sinfulness of man. We see that, that God is the hero of the story, that, that God is a God uh, filled with grace, filled with love. He pursues basically every single person that's introduced in this book. Um, So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. We read, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. All right, so we're introduced to Jonah. Uh, the, The book of Jonah starts with the word of God, and it ends with the word of God. God is the center figure in the story. Uh, don't get confused by the, the big fish in the middle of the story. Um, this is all about God. This, this entire book is about God. And so we are introduced to Jonah. He's the son of Amittai. He receives this commission by God to go to Nineveh, um, a, a great city, and he's to cry against it. And so here's a, a map here. We have Jerusalem. Uh, this little stretch here is, is modern-day Israel. Jonah likely is in Jerusalem, this area. We don't exactly know, but it, but it makes sense to be in Jerusalem. He's told to go all the way up to Nineveh. This is, this is modern-day Iraq, um, Mosul. Uh, the northern part of, of, of Iraq is where Nineveh was located. He's told to basically go up there and, and to cry against the city. We're not told of uh, the message. He basically, as the story unfolds, we see that the only message he's to give to them is that God calls them to repent, to to change uh, the direction of their way. If you were to read in Nahum, another minor prophet, um, you you would read about um, Nineveh, a wicked, horrible, evil city uh, filled with murder. We're, We're told that as you entered into Nineveh, that there was so much, much death that the bodies were just stacked up on the outside, overwhelmed with death, filled with witchcraft, sexuality. They hated Israel and they warred against uh, Israel for many, many years. They were a brutal people. They were godless. They were surrounded by a huge wall. We're told that on the top of the wall going around the city of Nineveh, that you could have Three chariots side by side sort of racing around it. This is a huge, huge city. Um, many, would, many would say to you uh, 
that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid. I, I don't think that that was the case. I don't think Jonah wanted to go because he hated the people of Nineveh. It was a mutual hatred. He knew who God was, and he didn't want to go for fear that the people might respond to God's message and repent. Um, this task is huge. I think the equivalent today is if that God said, hey, I want you to go to Afghanistan or Iraq and find Al-Qaeda or go find ISIS, uh, go into Syria, and I want you to communicate a message to these people. This is the closest that I think for us as Americans, how we would feel or, or identify with Jonah. Uh, one of the funny things, it was funny, um, it would have been more funny had Joe had the foresight to know what he was doing to me. So the driving in Kenya is absolutely crazy. I mean, it's you're on the wrong side of the road and then it just goes downhill from there. Um, it, 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 it's miserable. I go into self-protection in these modes. So I'm in the front seat, which would be the driver's seat. And my body's reaction in these situations where the driving is absolutely crazy is to put itself to sleep. And Joe's like, yeah, you're driving. How do you sleep? I'm like, it's my body's self-preservation. Because if you're going to crash, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to know about it. I just like, I assume we'll be okay. And I'm just going to fall asleep. And so I'm asleep one day leaving work, leaving the hangar. I'm out cold in front seat of the car. And they, Esther must have asked for some groceries or something. We had to stop for some reason. I missed that part. But I'm sound asleep, and the next thing I hear is this large, loud speaker going off. Um, in Arabic, a call to prayer. And so then I jump out of my seat going into like, where are we? What's happening? And Joe's like, that's so funny. I'm like, did you purposely drive up to a mosque during the call of prayer to like wake me up? And he's like, that would have been so much better if I had the foresight to do this to you. And I'm like, man, I'm awake. What are we doing now? I'm ready to go. And, and uh, I don't know why I bring that story up, but it's, it's, it's uh, from my previous life, going into a Muslim world, being surrounded by the call of prayer, it, it sparks something within me um, that, that draws out um, less than Christ-like feelings. <laughs> Um, I think is the best way to sugarcoat it. And so when I pull up to the mosque at the grocery store and the call to prayer happens, like a bunch of anxiety that I had about making the trip, because I didn't want to go on this trip. Um, going to Africa was not on my top to-do list. Um, I've been joking, well, what's the best part about Africa? I'm like, well, the overnight in Zurich was really nice. Like, I really enjoyed that part. Um, and I really enjoyed seeing uh, Joe and his family um, and, and seeing what God was doing there. But, but going to a third world country, it wasn't like, oh, I'm really chomping at the bit to go, to go there. Um, I, it, it's inconvenient to get in a plane and fly halfway around the world. Um, often when God calls us to do something, I think that it's inconvenient. And here Jonah is, and, he, and God says, Jonah... Arise, go to Nineveh, this great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. And so this city that Jonah would just like to see annihilated, would like to see them sort of taken off the face of the earth, God says, you need to go and you need to give a word from me. Um, when I think of Christ as we're entering this part of Matthew, Matthew has been spending so much time on, on this, these last few days of his life um, thinking about the horrible things that would happen to Christ during his last days on this earth, um, thinking, considering that he is the creator of the universe, that the Bible tells us that when creation was spoken into existence, that Jesus uh, played a part in that. And here he comes, um, to be brutally beaten, uh, to, to be destroyed to the point where, where writings tell us that you couldn't identify whether he was male or female, and that ultimately he would be nailed to a cross to die for something um, that he wasn't guilty of. And to think of his words in Mark 10.45 where Christ says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. That Jesus said, this is inconvenient, but this is my example. This is what I'm setting for each of us who follow Christ. His example is that he would serve, that he would give his life, that, that he would offer himself to go and to be used by God, however. Um, this week in Africa, there were things, you know, sometimes you go on a trip and you can't, I'm not God, so I, I don't really know what to anticipate is going to happen to me. One of the things, this trip, that, like, I think one of the more moving and, and emotionally um, meaningful things that happened to me on this trip is I, d- I didn't realize um, AIM, AIM Air's relationship with SIM. Um, I, I didn't understand how closely connected they were in Africa. Um, I'm not surprised by it, but, but going... Um, I just wouldn't have anticipated it. Uh, when Joe talks about people that he serves with, often it, the, we don't know what agency that they're serving alongside. Um, and a lot of times afterwards, Joe would say, oh, that person's actually there with SIM, and they, they're just here living in our compound for now. And so SIM, uh, when Anna and I were sort of, when I was leaving the military, SIM was one of those agencies that, that we interviewed with prior to coming to Valley Center. Um, I remember leaving the military saying, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And I'm like, well, they can't, God can't be calling me to missions because I speak English and I feel called to teach the Bible. And then it dawned on me, like somehow like God threw to my face, like, hey, there's a lot of places in the world where they speak English that you can go that's outside of uh, the continental United States. And so during that window, it's like, oh, oh. Well, I said that I would go wherever, and so I need to sort of, to truly sort of pursue this. And so we interviewed with SIM. We did all of the battery of tests. We, we went through everything. Essentially, the psychologist there, um, in really nice words, said that I can't send you to Africa. I could send you to two countries in Africa, um, but everything that made you a great Navy SEAL would make you a terrible missionary. And uh, in, in really kind words, and I was kind of like, Phew, okay. I didn't feel like God was calling me there, but at least I went down the road. And, and through that journey, I remember a part of my spiritual development, going through SIM, one of the things I remember feeling convicted of some you know, 10, 12 years ago was that I really felt like God wanted me to come to a church in the United States and and really have an impact for worldwide missions um, from the United States. Now, there was a side of me then that thought that was a sort of a cop-out statement. Um, but having been there and, and saying, hey, do you got, you know that psychologist name? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, he told me. And, and so being there with Joe and being there with all these SIM missionaries, um, I, I truly felt like I, I didn't go there feeling like, oh, I should have really gone with SIM and I should have been a missionary in, in Africa. I, I, I sat there and I realized that God did indeed call me to Valley Center. And to see over the last 10 years how we as a church have really developed meaningful relationships with, with missionaries that, that we know and that we care about um, really has, has been a big deal to me. Um, as we go through this, this, these, this book of Jonah, one of the things that I still, it's always troubling to me when I, ha- when I start out the gate and I don't exactly know how it's going to work out yet, one of the things that I was hoping to do in looking at Acts 1-8 is sort of each week looking at um, focusing on an area, but Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. Um, how does that fit? And so the first part of Jerusalem, when I started this journey of coming to, to, to Valley Center, um, I came here truly, deeply desiring to reach our community for Christ. Um, it's been almost 10 years now. I've come to see that Valley Center is a very difficult community to, re- to, to reach. Um, we're... We're sort of surrounded by cowboys, and 
and resilient people, people who come out here, they want their little two acres at least of land. They want their fence around their property. There's no Starbucks in town to kind of like, you know, hang out to meet people. Um, so it takes a lot of really intention, intentional um, actions to, to try to meet people within um, our community. And so as we look at Jonah, we can, we'll look at the ends of the earth. And, I've, and because I'm fresh back from Africa, it's very easy for me to look over there. But the reality is, is this community is a mission field. And God has called each one of us to play a role in, in reaching our community. The, the longer that I'm here, the more I'm convinced that it's about individuals being intentional about truly establishing relationships that are genuine relationships, uh, but that also where we have the heart to, to, to reach and to share about Christ um, to, to our neighbors. One of the things, you know, Don I said that this is the church formerly known as uh, Valley Baptist Church, so now I'm thinking of Prince, uh, you know, the, the, the artist formerly known as... Um, uh, but our name change, going to Grace Point Church, really one of the, the huge driving factors in that name change is we're, the idea is that we're doing it for the sake of evangelism, that we want to reach our community. And the reality is, is that having Baptists in your name, it, it's a deterrent for inviting people to church, for people coming and being uh, desiring to come to a church. And so one of the things in this name change, the heart behind it is we want our community, uh, when, when looking for a church, well, where can we go to a church? We don't want unnecessary um, uh, barriers there. Uh, the, the barrier that we'll never remove is the cross. Christ is central to everything. Um, we can be offensive in that, uh, not that we're trying to be offensive, but, but the cross and that Christ died for us, that we all are sinners apart from, like we're all sinners and that his work on the cross is what bridges that gap. That's, that's something that we'll never remove. Um, okay, I need to move along here. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship, which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went into it uh, with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So instead of heading east to Nineveh, he heads down to Joppa. If you make the journey to Israel, uh, which we're a couple years out from going again, the, the very first stop that you make is, is Joppa. You, it, it's this beautiful Mediterranean city or town um, and it was, it was a major port during this time. Jonah, instead of obeying God, he goes to this town, he gets on a boat, and this boat is going to Tarshish, which is actually, to the best of our understanding, is about where Rhoda, Spain is. It was at the very outermost part of civilization, as far as they know. So he gets on a boat, goes as far away as he can possibly go, um, to flee from the presence of the Lord. If he knew his Bible, he could have read from Psalm 139, verse 7, where David says, like, where, O oh Lord, can I go from you? Can I go to the depths of the sea? Can I, where can I go to get away from your presence? And David basically said, there's nowhere that you can go uh, to flee the presence of God. is omnipresent. He is everywhere. You cannot go anywhere and be absent from him. But Jonah goes. He, he seeks to flee from God. There are always options. When you're trying to run from God, when you're trying to rebel, there, will be, there always will be options for you to get away. And so Jonah flees. Uh, verse 4, the, the, uh, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. Notice lowercase g, um, mainly because there's a shift in the story. Um, they are religious men. They have their gods, lowercase g's, but these are not, this is not the God of the scriptures. This isn't the true living God. And so this wind picks up. There's a great storm on the sea, so the ship was about to break up. 
the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. So here are the men. They head out to sea. Sailors um, are, are tough, resilient guys. They don't, um, they don't panic out of the ocean that often. And so this wind kicks up. This storm is terrifying. Um, they're trying to figure out what they can do. They have basically one job, and that's to get the cargo from point A to point B. The situation is so severe, they're, they're afraid for their lives. And so in order to preserve human life, they decide that the best thing they can do is to abandon the cargo that they're transporting, and they throw it overboard. This basically lightens the load on the ship so that the seaworthiness of the ship um, will hold up. And as they're panicking, they're calling out to their gods, they're trying to do whatever they can do to survive the storm. And we read about Jonah, and we see that Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down, and had fallen asleep. Now, it's fascinating to me that in the midst of this storm, Jonah is down there, uh, totally unaware of the panic that's happening above uh, above, up on the, the decks. Um, these guys are yelling, screaming, panicking, and Jonah is just sound asleep. Um, we should point out that all peace that you receive isn't necessarily of the Lord. Like, he's fleeing from God. And so often we can be totally incentive to say, well, I have peace about it. I'm, well, that doesn't mean that peace is from God. Um, he's down there sound asleep. And so when the ca- captain approached him, verse 6, and said to him, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Um, this whole ship is in jeopardy because of Jonah. I don't know if you've ever said, I certainly know that I have in the past. Um, I hear it all the time that my sin is between me and God. It has nothing to do with you all. Our sin affects other people. Jonah has fled. Jonah is resisting God. Jonah's sin is now um, bringing consequences on to these sailors. They're, they're panicked for their life. They've already lost uh, money by having to chuck their product off the, the edge of the ship. And the captain sees him. He says, wake up. Call out to your God. What's going on? Clearly, Jonah knows what's going on. And he doesn't own up to it at this point. And so each man said to his mate, come on, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. So they essentially rolled the dice. We don't know much about the lot falling, how it actually worked. We do know from Proverbs 16.33, we're told that man sort of rolls the dice, but God determines how they'll fall. And so they go about casting lots. And as they do this, it shows that the lot fell on Jonah, that Jonah is the one to be blamed for this calamity. Verse 8, then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Suddenly they have a whole bunch of questions for where, where do you come from? What country are you from? What language do you speak? Who's your God? What is happening that this would fall on you? We have questions. You have the answers. Speak to us. And now Jonah's response in verse 9, we're going to see that Jonah theologically is very astute. He's going to say the right things, but it's clear that his his actions up to this point are not aligning with the words that he's saying. He said to them, I am a Hebrew. That is correct. And I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So his theology, he says, I fear God and God alone. Now God told him to go east and he goes west. His actions don't show an individual that is truly afraid of the God that he's claiming to be afraid of. Good theology, terrible practice. Then the men became extremely frightened. 
And they said to them, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to them, they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may be calm, become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. Like, what do we do? Jonah, you got us into this mess. The storm is just building. We're all going to die here unless you respond in some way to get your God under control. That What do you need to do? Help us help you. We're all in trouble here. We need you to respond. And so Jonah says in verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on the account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. I, I, I love this picture of the sailors. Like here's Jonah doing the wrong thing. He, he partway takes ownership. He says, this is because of me. What you need to do is you need to throw me overboard. I wonder why doesn't Jonah just sort of jump? <laughs> like, like, why do you make them put your blood on their hands? And, and I love that these guys who don't know the true God, they want to preserve Jonah's life. They're trying to do the right thing. Um, verse 13. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, notice the capitalization. It's a, it's a mild point. But in the beginning, they were calling out to their gods, lowercase g. And so Jonah, this, this rebellious individual, not walking with God, fleeing with God, has somehow evangelized these guys in his disobedience, which is a little encouraging to know that God will use us, um, often in spite of us in our own actions. So here Jonah, in his total rebellion, these guys have been led to the true God. And now they're praying they're calling out to him. We earnestly pray, ask you, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. This is... This is a beautiful picture of sort of God's immediate response to these guys. I can't imagine what these sailors like would have felt. Like this big storm has come up upon them. They're not quite sure how to handle the storm. They've done everything they can do in their humanity. They've lightened the load. They've now isolated. Okay, this is something about this storm is supernatural. They determined that Jonah's at the cause. Jonah says, throw me overboard. They don't really want to throw Jonah overboard. They're now worshiping the true God and saying, God, we see no other answer other than to throw this man overboard. Please don't let his blood be on our heads. So they throw him overboard and immediately everything gets calm. I um, This had to have been overwhelming for them. Uh, this is... A, a miraculous event just in this case that this guy's God suddenly controls the weather. Um, Jonah goes into the water. Um, part of Jonah, in the Old Testament, there's the Day of Atonement. And it's interesting that, that I think that during this day, that as a part of the celebration of the Day of Atonement, what they do is they read the book of Jonah. And at the end of the book of Jonah, basically they say, we are Jonah. And they sort of acknowledge the rebellion of, of their own hearts and their own lives and that all of us are just like Jonah and we often rebel against God. And so Jonah is about to hit his rock bottom. Um, 
even through the story, it's going to take Jonah a little while to learn the lesson that God is trying to teach him. But I think the key in understanding that Jonah came to understand the lesson that God was teaching him is the fact that Jonah is writing this letter for us, that we have this because of Jonah. And so they, he goes into the sea. Um, verse 16, the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish, and it doesn't say whale, it says fish, to swallow Jonah And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. There's a a whole lot that we can go into on this this element of of, of the story. Um, I don't believe that this is the greatest fish story ever told. Um, Many critics will have a hard time accepting that a man was swallowed by a great fish, often referred to as a whale, although the text just says great fish. Um, they say there's no way a man can be swallowed by a fish and, and survive. Um, the, the Hebrew of this language, you can make a strong case saying that Jonah died in the belly of the fish and then was um, brought back to life when he was spit out. Um, Jesus quotes the story in Matthew 12. A few weeks ago, we went over it. Matthew 12, verses 38 through 41. Well, when the Pharisees are confronting Jesus... And they say, we just need a sign from you. And Jesus said, I'm done doing signs. The only sign you'll receive is the sign of Jonah when the temple's destroyed and three days later will be uh, brought back. And so Jesus speaks, re- references Jonah's death um, and he likens it to himself. So Jonah becomes a type. Um, you know, I've never been swallowed by a fish. There, there are definitely fish stories out there about guys being swallowed and eaten by fish and, and, and spit back out. Um, we, have no, we, we have no problem acknowledging that a man can put a man underwater for multiple days and bring him back to life. But, but we have an issue when it comes to God doing it. Um, for those of you that weren't in the Navy, there's these things called submarines. And so we, in our own power, we're able to create things that, that, that keep people alive. Um, certainly, God, who created everything, um, can do the same thing. Um, but the fish is really a minor part of the story. And we don't want to get wrapped around the axle. I, I truly believe that this literally happened. Uh, that this this part of it, Jonah being swallowed by the great fish, that it literally happened. There's no reason to believe that it didn't. And as we follow the text of the New Testament, Christ refers to the story as being a literal story. And so here we have this man in the first chapter called by God to go to a people, and he flees. He runs from the call of God. I don't know about you, but I did not respond to God the first time that God reached out to me. I ran and rebelled for many, many years. And I'm thankful that God is a God who cares for us, who loves us so deeply that he will continue to pursue us. There's a verse in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14, and the NIV reads it like this. It was a, it was a verse that caught my attention very early in my Christian life that really grabbed my heart. And the verse says, like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that the banished person may not remain estranged from him. And this picture early in my Christian life, it caught my attention, like water sp- I don't know if you ever spilled water on the ground. In our, in our family, water spills every, all, I mean, everything spills everywhere. Water spills on the ground and it begins to go into the ground and, and you can't like recover it. And here in Samuel, we're, we're, just, we're told that like our lives are like a glass of water that gets spilled into the ground and it's like lost but that we're told that God devises ways and that he cares for us so much that he can recover that which is lost so that, that a relationship can happen. 
And so the story of Jonah, is, as it unfolds, we've already seen that these sailors, that God has grabbed a hold of their hearts, were in the process of seeing that Jonah is in the process of God um, grabbing his heart so that he could enter into relationship with Jonah. We'll see that, not to ruin the end of the story, but we'll see that the people of Nineveh, that they will actually repent and turn their hearts to God. And all of this is because God is reaching out to all of them. And so as we look at this first chapter, my prayer is that each one of us would examine, are you running from God? Are you um, trying to get away? Are you here at church today because somebody forced you to come? Um, That was my story coming to church for the first time and the second time and the third time. Um, But God is pursuing after us. God desires to have a relationship with us. He's gone through great means to sort of uh, create an opportunity where you would respond to the gift that he's presented to you. And then for us as individuals who have responded to God's call in our life where we have acknowledged him as Savior It's crazy to me to think that God then would take those who have rebelled against him for so long, that he would then give us life in Christ, but then he would then say, okay, now I have a job for you. I'm going to work through you so that others might experience the same thing, and he's given us this great commission. And so as individuals, we're called, we're commissioned. God has asked us to go and to reach those who don't know Christ. That's why we exist as a church. And so my prayer this month is that as we go through Jonah, that God would begin to do a work in our hearts, that we would gain his eyes and his hearts, that we would desire to reach out to those who don't know Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in my life and in so many of our lives here in this room. Father, we pray for those that maybe don't know Christ as Savior, that you would help connect the dots for them, that they would respond to you. Father, we pray for our hearts, Lord. So often things get in the way, our our own prejudices, our own anger, our own hurts. Lord, that keep us from serving you, from being obedient to you, from reaching out to those around us with the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you are so patient with us, that you are so kind, you are so gentle. And Lord, we ask as we go about our lives this week, Father, that you would burden us for our neighbors, our loved ones, Uh, people at our workplace, uh, wherever we go, Lord, that we would see people through your eyes. Lord, help us to have the courage and the desire to, um, to reach out to those without Christ. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.